Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Acts 2, 1 through 36. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Acts in your Bible. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Thanks be to God. Thank you. It's the word of the Lord. That's a long chunk. And you did those names admirably. He, he didn't even have to thank his mom for the English lesson. We're going to go line by line each verse. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I know. Um, like, have you, ever, have you ever tried to tell somebody about Jesus? Like, in a personal conversation, maybe somebody you knew, maybe somebody you didn't know. Uh, there's, there's these guys. They, I don't know if they do it anymore. When I was in college in Oklahoma City, there was these guys that would stand on the corner and of a road, and they would shout at cars as they would drive by, like trying to preach about Jesus. And there's a couple of things I find flawed in that presentation. In Oklahoma, it's hot most of the time, except in the winter. Nobody drives around really with their windows down because it's hot, air conditioning. And so, you know, there might be a small window of time where people might be driving by with their windows open, but not a whole lot. And so, you're yelling at people who are going, I don't know, 40 miles an hour with the windows down. You're, just, you're not being heard anyway. I always found that funny. But if you've, if you've ever tried to, to tell people about Jesus, uh, it can be a little bit difficult, right? And I think there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, our world has changed quite a bit in the last, well, 50 years, but even within the last 10 or 20 uh, people say, and if you, if you kind of study these things, that we're America, at least, and Europe has been for a long time, kind of in this post-Christian era. Uh, it it might have been one time that Christianity was at least well-known. Uh, people, even if they didn't really believe, or even if they didn't really practice Christianity in any kind of way, they at least understood and they knew the basic elements of the story. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's changed significantly. And so it becomes harder and harder to talk to somebody about Jesus without having to, like, go through the entire context of everything. And that's something I struggle with, particularly because my personality likes, I like context. And so, like, I'll have to tell you the entire story of Israel's uh, journey from, like, creation to Abraham all the way through for it to make any sense, at least in my mind. Uh, so it could be it could be really difficult. And by the way, I, I don't necessarily think um, that our country being more post-Christian is, is always a bad thing. Uh, but we could we could talk about that a little bit. It it certainly presents us opportunities for us to to love people in a way that's contrary to uh, how everybody goes. But that's kind of that's kind of a tangential thing for another day, perhaps. Uh, it, it was a little easier, I think, for Israel, though, in those days to proclaim uh, about Jesus. Uh, because as we've said for a lot, like Jesus was, the very core of who he was, he was Jewish. 
And so these people who might hear Peter's message on the day of Pentecost would have had at least some form of understanding of what the story was up until that point. Uh, it's not something, obviously, that we can assume today. In fact, anytime I preach that to not you all, but like anybody else, I'm trying to always figure out like how much of this story do they actually know. And so Peter, though, on the other hand, he knows that all of the people who are gathered in Jerusalem that day on the day of Pentecost have a background for understanding what he's about to say. Uh, and of course, at this particular moment, we're, it's the day of Pentecost. We're talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit. And it may be a little easier for Peter and his fellow Christians because, well, God has given them the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I wonder if, uh, well, I think that's kind of the point for today's. Uh, the, the point, the thing I think I want to say most about the day of Pentecost, which today is, is that the Holy Spirit is given to us, is given to the disciples at the beginning of the church so that they might be able to boldly proclaim the message about Jesus Christ. That is, that is it for today. We could stop right there. But there's other important things that I think that are in this passage that are worth looking at for us today. But that is, that is the point. The Holy Spirit is given to us, uh, not, a, not just for our personal holiness. We belong to a church that, that wants to talk about the Holy Spirit cleansing us and empowering us to live a Christian life. And that's definitely part of it. That's not the focus necessarily of today. The focus of the day of Pentecost for Christians is boldness in proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. Well, um, Acts begins where the book of Luke lets off. Uh, if you remember the book of Luke, um, pretty, big, pretty big look. It, it's, it's pretty thorough in all of the things that explains. And so we have the, the crucifixion and the, the burial and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Acts picks up where uh, Jesus and his disciples, after the resurrection, are gathered around and the disciples are still a little slow to begin to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. And so they ask Jesus this question, is now the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, they still quite hadn't figured out at this particular moment that the kingdom of God, which Jesus came proclaiming, wasn't just for Israel, but it was, as we'll find out, for all people. And Jesus is like, hey, no, it's not for you the time to know right now, but I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to sit and wait and pray, and I will send the Holy Spirit to you. So Jesus ascends, and he goes back to be with the Father. And uh, the disciples are obedient in this particular time. They go back to Jerusalem, and they sit and wait and pray. They do a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, you remember Judas, right? He sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Well, they wanted to replace him uh, uh, they wanted to replace his spot among the 12 disciples. And so they had a, a little meeting where they, they pray and they pick another person to replace Judas. Well, they're gathered, and, and maybe they're gathered in the same room that uh, maybe the one that they had the Last Supper in. Maybe it's the same room that they were gathered in when they uh, selected Judas's replacement. And they are there in that day, and all of the sudden, all of the sudden, it was the day of Pentecost. By the way, the day of Pentecost uh, is the 50th day after the Passover in Jewish life. And it celebrates kind of the first fruits of the harvest, the festival of weeks. And so people would come into Jerusalem from all over the place just for this day to celebrate, 
to worship at the temple, to offer sacrifices. Uh, and so Pentecost is already a thing at this particular point. It's just pesky Christians come along and we take it and make it our own. Anyway, they're gathered on the day of Pentecost and they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and a tongue rested on each of them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this is like? Uh, imagine we're over in the gym, we're having one of, our, one of our meals after church and all of a sudden like the doors blow open there's no windows really over there. The doors blow open and a violent wind comes in and you look around and Marsha's got a tongue of fire sitting on top of her head. Would you freak out? I would freak out. I would be worried about Marsha's hair <laughs> catching fire, right? Me and Jerry, we don't have to worry so much about, or Charlie. It would, but it's, it would be... It, it would be strange, and I think even for the disciples who were gathered there who had spent three years with Jesus, who had seen miracles and stuff like that, that this was no less kind of, well, just astounding to them. And so they just sit here and take this in, but it's, it's not done yet. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, uh, I think at this point, well, two things, two things really. So the Holy Spirit has come and it's come upon them. It's in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain people for a certain amount of time to do uh, something that God would like them to do. So the judges were, the uh, Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would, they would lead Israel. The Holy Spirit came upon David for a certain time to come and do God's will in the world. This though, this though is going to be different Although I'm not sure, I'm not sure the disciples fully understand that at this particular point. But I think, we, I think we can imagine this room. And in this room are not just the 12 disciples, but are all of, well, a good chunk of other believers. I think one of the things I think it's really important for us to understand is that the Holy Spirit comes not necessarily just to us individually or not just to the leaders of the church, but that the Holy Spirit comes and is given to us as we gather together as the body of believers. Uh, that you and I, because we belong to this church, because we gather together on a regular basis to worship, that the Holy Spirit comes and invades our space and helps us to be the church, to grow and to understand what the church is about. And it's not just for me or for our board, but it is for all of us, all of us, to engage in this mission of proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, I think it might be uh, helpful at this point, too, then to maybe talk about what we're talking about here. What, what is the Holy Spirit? Well, we've been talking a whole lot the last couple of weeks about how God is Trinity, right? God is one. We have one God, but God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've said that well, we said that our basis for everything that we believe, all that we should do in life comes from the nature of who God is as his character. We said that God is a character of, of love, that is a relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit, where the, the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit returns the love of the Father and the Son, and they work in unity of purpose and mission in the world. But we also said that, that love always has well, it always has an outside trajectory, right? 
Love is really only love as it is given freely for the sake and benefit of someone else. So God exists in this, this unity of love and he sends the Holy Spirit out to give his love to creation and to draw us back into relationship with him. Holy Spirit is God's love coming to us, whispering our name, saying to us, I love you, I created you, you are made in my image. Come and participate in this great dance of relationship that is the Trinity. And so the Holy Spirit, really the word is breath or wind. In, in the Old Testament, it's literally like breath. God breathed his breath into Adam and Eve and they became people. In the New Testament, it is spirit or wind or like kind of your force of life. It is, it is what animates creation. It is what animates the church and allows it to be what it is that God wants it to be. Well, the Holy Spirit uh, is given to the church. It is given to propel them into mission in the world. It is, well, it is what sends us out just as the Father and the Son send the Spirit out into the world to share the love of God among creation, the Spirit comes to us and it sends us out into the world in love for the sake and benefit of the world around us. Now, it doesn't say this in, uh, in the text, um, but they move out of the room. It's, it doesn't say exactly how that happens, but the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it sits upon them and wind and fire and it throws them out into out into the outside, and they're, they're apparently near the, the, the temple, and so they go out and around the temple, and all these people are gathered, and they begin to speak in other language as the Spirit gave them ability. Can you imagine that sight, too? Like, not one minute you're there praying, maybe you're gathered with your friends, and the next minute the door is bust open, and it's windy, violent rushing wind and you look over and your best buddy's got a tongue of fire on his head and all of a sudden you got to get out of that room because you just can't hold you anymore and you go out into the the public square and you're there by the temple and then you hear other people speaking in other languages crazy i had a, I had a pastor i worked for tell me i couldn't i couldn't say things were crazy like in the bible that they had to be like mysterious this is crazy I'm just saying he was wrong, right? Uh, from their standpoint of view, and I think for us, if we were there in that day, just put, put yourself in that spot. And the response is no less. Uh, amazed and astonished, the, the people who were gathered there, uh, they say, are these nights, are, are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we hear in each of us in our own language? Now, Sam read that list of, of places that people were from, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that because he did it better than I did. So, uh, but all of these people who have gathered to celebrate the the feast of Pentecost are here, and they are hearing and understanding the good news about Jesus Christ in their own language. The Spirit has sent the disciples out to un, to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. Well, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk, is what they thought. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite exchanges in, in the Bible. 
it's like, sorry, you guys are speaking in, in languages. We, you know, whatever. You must have had a little bit too much. And Peter responds. He gets up, and this is the first sermon recorded in the book of Acts. And he says, no, friends, these people aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Even then they didn't start drinking before noon. Oh, come on, that's funny. Thank you. I don't know. He gets up and he begins to say, hey, no, this, is, this, isn't, this, isn't, this isn't alcohol, this isn't wine, this is the Holy Spirit, and he's doing something unique and special. And uh, then he begins, to, um, then he begins to, to quote this. He quotes a passage from Joel. He says, Then afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and, the visions shall, and, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Peter, I think, is beginning to understand. That's the question they asked Jesus as his ascension. Like, this is the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. I think he's beginning to understand that, no, this, what is happening here is something bigger and larger. And it accompanies more than just God's people. The Holy Spirit has come and the whole world is going to hear of it. They're going to hear of it in its own language. It goes on. And uh, by the way, um, hold on. I went a little too far. All right. Uh, he goes on. And uh, like everybody is going to hear this thing. Now, the real focus of Peter's sermon is not necessarily uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's important. I think he understands that something significant and and huge is happening here, and he's connecting it to Israel's hope that that the Spirit will be with all people of all time in a really kind of permanent way, and he's beginning to celebrate that, but his real concern, his real concern, is the content of the message that they are beginning to proclaim. The Holy Spirit is given to the church at the beginning. And the Holy Spirit is given to us now, today, to proclaim that Christ is king. Not just of Israel, but of the entire world. He kind of makes his, uh, uh, his case here. And he goes on and he says, he's talking about David. Um, Since he was a prophet, he knew that God was sworn with an oath had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Forever seeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor his flesh experienced corruption. He's saying, look, God has put a king on this throne, and he is greater than our ancestor David, who was the greatest king Israel had ever seen. And David understood that someone was coming who was not going to, well, he was not going to go the way of all kings. That the power and authority that this king would have, that Jesus would have, would transcend everything, including, including death itself. I didn't include one of the, the bits uh, towards the very end where he says uh, that dominion, all of dominion was going to be given over to this Jesus. All authority over everything. The message that Peter is proclaiming today is that Jesus Christ is king 
of all things of all time. That even death itself has no authority or power over Jesus Christ. And, and death itself will not have the last word. But that the message that the church is to proclaim is that Christ is king over all things of all time. That is the message that we are to proclaim to the world. Um, I wonder, though, maybe back to our question at the very beginning about how, how difficult it is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And I, I, the challenge for us today is to figure out how to do that. Uh, to do that in, in the midst of a culture that has largely forgotten the story of everything. That, that might be able to tell you about creation, I don't know. That might be able to tell you that Jesus is considered by you know, Christians as a really important person. But when I want to tie together, not just the message, but the Holy Spirit here with this proclamation, is that we seek to understand how it is that we are going to tell the world about Jesus Christ, that Christ is king over everything, including death, that, the, that our proclamation is impossible without the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible for us to go out and proclaim this good news without giving ourselves over as individuals and as the body of Christ, the church, to the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because the Spirit, one, it gives us wisdom. The world has changed. It's not going back to the way it was. The ways in which we used to do things may not work anymore. Now, Fulton is a little, a little less than some places. I think there's probably a little more Christian than St. Louis or New York City, for sure. But I want us on the day of Pentecost to pray for wisdom, that we might understand our time and how we might proclaim this message of Jesus Christ as King. Holy Spirit gives us discernment to be able to choose between what what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, what is effective and what isn't, and what is healthy for us as a church to do. And I think the Spirit gives us courage. I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine the disciples that day busting out of that room where they were and proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ if the, the, the Spirit had not given them a significant amount of courage. If they are anything like any other collection of 12 people, they are personalities of all kind. And you've got your Peter out there who's just, he runs his mouth all the time anyway, so he might as well use it to proclaim the good news. But maybe, I don't know, maybe Mark over here is timid and he would rather scrape his eyeballs out than speak in front of people. I know there are some of you like that. And yet the Holy Spirit comes and gives them courage to proclaim this good news of Jesus Christ as King. That's our hope and my hope and prayer for us that as, we, uh, that as we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might pray that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom. And this has been the content and not on purpose necessarily. 
This has been the, comment, the content for, of my sermons for like the last six months. So that we might have discernment and wisdom and courage to know what the Spirit is calling us to do in our world here and now and that we might actually do it. Well, here, I, I think, are some ways that might be helpful for us as we seek to do this. One, we need to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to direct us. We should do this as churches, as a church, and as, as individuals. I know this has been my prayer for us. I know in the Bible study that's been meeting on Sundays and Wednesdays, this has kind of been their prayer as well. I want you to take this home and just be part of what you do every day, that you pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. Uh, this week, read the entire book of Acts. You can do it over a couple weeks. It's not crazy long. Read the entire book of Acts. Make a list of the ways in which the Spirit used the disciples and the apostles to proclaim the good news of Jesus. How might we as a church or as individuals be similarly used by God? Now, I think the book of Acts is largely descriptive. It tells us what happens. But I wonder if in that description of how the Spirit uses those early disciples, there might be things for us to do as well. Uh, Prepare your testimony. How has Jesus and the Holy Spirit transformed your life? And tell it to somebody this week. Uh, It has to be a story, though. This message about Jesus Christ being king makes no sense if it's not a part of the grand story of God and creation in Israel. You're telling about how Christ is king over everything, including death itself, will make no sense if it is not part of your story as well. If on your daily commute you see someone on the side of the road needing food or money, happens all the time, right? Just go to Kingdom City. Uh, and, And I know people have maybe pushed back against this. Proclaim Christ's kingship over poverty by doing something to meet that person's need. That's just an example, right? I'm not saying you have to do that for the person begging for for money or food on the side of the road. But look for opportunities to where you see the brokenness in our world and that your proclamation of Jesus Christ as king is not just in word, but that it is in tangible action as well. Because if we look at Jesus' ministry, he he didn't just preach. He healed folks. He took care of people. If we look at the book of Acts, they didn't just preach. They fed widows and took care of people who had needs. If you know someone who is sad or mourning, give them comfort. Cry with them. Proclaim Christ's kingship over death and sadness and brokenness. Uh, I, I, I have a pen pal. He's at the state hospital. I don't know how we got connected, but we write back and forth. Sometimes he calls me, sometimes I get to call him. Sometimes I participate in his like 90-day evaluations with the, the workers via Zoom. 
I think there are opportunities like that for us to proclaim Christ's lordship over the past and the things that people have done and, and to work with them as they are seeking healing and restoration from not only the brokenness that they have received, but the brokenness that they have caused in the world as well. Maybe start writing someone. I don't know how that would work. Write someone who's in jail or at the state hospital. These are just a couple of ways which I think we can proclaim this message that Christ is king over everything, including death, in our words and in our deeds. But if we try to do these things without the power of the Holy Spirit, we won't get very far. So today we celebrate the day of Pentecost. The day that God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we might in word and in deed proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is king over everything. And that we might do it as a church with boldness. That we might do it as individuals with courage and with boldness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today and the gift of your spirit. Lord, I can't imagine what it would be like to be there with the disciples on that day in the room. Lord, we may not experience the Holy Spirit in the same way as they did then, but if they needed it, we need it too. And so we ask that in your goodness and your grace, that you would continue to give us the Holy Spirit, that we might become attentive to it, that it might open our eyes to the things in this world that you want us to do about. Lord, help us to realize that the, the content of our message is just one thing, that it is you crucified and yet resurrected never to die again, that that you are king and Lord over everything. That you're coming again to fix all of the brokenness and all of the sadness and all of the pain in our world. Or we ask that you would give us wisdom through the power of your spirit, that you would give us discernment through the power of your spirit, and that you would give us the courage that we need to go out and proclaim with boldness that you are king of heaven and earth, of life and of death. Lord, help us to do that today as we go out from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.